0: Welcome to the Last Lap Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Last Lap Podcast. Welcome to the Last Podcast.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Last Lap Podcast, the only podcast that probably didn't fall asleep during the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: till the last till the last 10 minutes anyway yeah that's true
0: um i'm your host andrew pearson and alongside me as always is sean gray here to uh give us your uh, give us your thoughts give us our thoughts uh on formula one the latest race news and everything going on and well i'm gonna have to you know tease it a little bit but a little feature at the end of this podcast that we haven't had before featuring some uh friends of ours so uh keep on listening right to the very end for that uh hopefully you'll enjoy it um, and and well that is exciting certainly more exciting than the grand prix that we are going to talk about which really uh had about uh one incident in it well two incidents i guess um but yeah you know
2: what? i'm not even bothered <laughs> I'm, still no. smi- I'm still smiling now <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> st- <laughs> not even fast Still
0: smiling. I'm sure we probably don't need to go into it in very much detail, but, uh, well, Nico Rosberg won the Monaco Grand Prix and, uh, the, the way in which it happened was, uh, shall we was say it ni-
2: nice, clean victory. Was it? <laughs> start, 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 nice well, start to finish. <laughs> it was certainly
0: a nice, nice, clean victory for Nico. Uh, <laughs> other drivers may say things were not as they really wanted them to be, but, uh, I think we'll get into that, uh, a little bit later. Um, now, the Monaco Grand Prix, we know it can be processional, don't we, really? it's That's almost not the point. The The, the general point is that it's difficult. So, therefore, the, the chances of any mistake being punished harshly kind of makes up for the fact that there's probably not going to be all that much overtaking unless there's a real differential between the cars. I, I think we all know that, don't we, really? We accept it. It's... Yep
2: yep it's the, true.
0: it's the price you pay for such a unique circuit
2: and um U- unique's the word i used i was explaining it to to jennifer and uh because i was trying to like, oh, say do you want to watch it with me like trying to get her involved and she's not really that fussed but but i was like yeah, if you're going to watch one watch monaco because you know it's at least unique you know and she she watched a little bit of it but i like the word unique was the word i used to describe it but you're, you're right you're you, you know what you're getting, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into, but that's kind of, that's okay. It's the one track of the year that gets a pass for that kind of thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so let's, uh, let's have a chat about
0: um, a little bit about qualifying um, only because there's a, a couple of incidents in it that, that kind of lead on to, to things that happened in the race one way or t'other. Um, The first being Carlos Sainz having to start from the uh, pit lane for missing the Weybridge uh, when he came in from Quali. It seems like quite a harsh penalty, but I don't know. There's not really another way around it, is there? Because (laughs) you're essentially... It's a bit like saying, oh, I didn't hear you call me in for the anti-doping urine test. You know, by the time you've gone back and then done it, it's too late you you can't prove that when they wanted to call you in you definitely weren't so the only thing they can do is pretty much exclude you from qualifying so there you go
2: it's it's and it's the same in and you know athletics and and other other sports if you miss the doping test they they take that as if you've failed the doping test basically yeah. so uh, yeah it's one of those ones that you know 99% of the time it's harsh because Everything's innocent, but it's almost you have to do it, make it so harsh because the 1% of the time where someone's at it, you know. So, uh, harsh, but, you know, everybody knows the rules. It's the rules for everybody. You have to be there.
0: Yeah, I mean, a rookie in his rookie season, he's going to make some silly mistakes like that. They all pretty much do something silly at, at, at some point. Um, the other probably um, biggest story from Corley was how poor the Williams were. Um. Oh, yeah,
2: very. But th- they've been poor at Monaco for a couple of seasons now. This isn't a new thing. Uh, admittedly, I don't think anybody expected them to be quite that poor. I mean, it was pretty, pretty, you know, the worst Williams performance, certainly, in the Mercedes-engined uh, era. Uh, but they do this. <laughs> The car has always been, since, since they've had the Mercedes engine, a car that favours the, the long straights and the, 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 the high top speeds, difficult to pass in a straight line, that kind of thing. So I think, they, I think they kind of expected to be, like I say, maybe not that far down, but they were always going to have a tough, tough weekend.
0: So... How would we how would we play this Grand Prix if we if we're reviewing it? Well, you can't really start at who won it because it's the only thing that's worth talking about. It <laughs> it's the biggest thing of the week, of the weekend. So I think actually what we'll do is we'll kind of do a a reverse grid. Really, let's start Ooh. with the back and we'll work our way forward because I think that pretty much tells the tale of the Grand Prix, to, so to speak. Um, obviously, in in the last two uh, finishing places were the two manners. Um, Interesting though, for the first time, um, Roberto Mary finished ahead of Will Stevens.
2: That's the first. Is that the first time he's he's finished since, that,
0: since they've both, what, since they've ever raced on the track at the same time? Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like. I quite like Will. Uh, he seemed to have a little bit of talent. I think he was getting the most out of that car that has that was physically possible. No, maybe not this weekend, obviously, but so far this season. But uh, yeah, you know, he's he's clearly despite mary getting the better of him here i think will's clearly the more talented of the two i don't think uh he can be too downhearted about being outdone here
0: no and i think you know monica can pretty much be the the great leveler in terms of um yeah you know the difference between skill and you know the 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 twists and turns and ups and downs that that race can have so yeah i think i agree with you there that maybe it's not a uh, not a great sign of things but it's still uh, nice for roberto to uh, at least be able to finish ahead of his teammate in at least one race this season it's always <laughs> a bit it's always a bit terrible when one of the teammates is so utterly um <laughs> you know above above their teammate it must be quite <laughs> cripplingly uh sort of painful to to always finish second to your teammate so uh, good for him um 15th place Felipe Massa a lap down um and the last of the lapped cars uh, a bit of an eventful race to be fair it's not all his fault realistically he um had an excursion with somebody am i right in saying um pastor Maldonado
2: well, uh, I Maldonado think it... retired after five laps there was, a, was it was a first lap it was, it was the f- first-lap contact Yeah, them, he, um, I think Massa pitted almost immediately. Yeah, to so. change
0: his nose, uh, which took forever for some reason. Um, somebody had obviously super-glued on the Williams nose this time and not just relied on the nuts and bolts, because hmm. it took forever to get it off. Um, and uh, at that point, realistically, that was his race over, because he rejoined a lap down and, and yeah, then that, stayed there the whole entire it, race. Yeah. You just uh,
2: can't... You're not, like, or maybe a different circuit... He might have been able to do something unlap himself, maybe get even get some points, even. But a circuit like Monaco, he might as well have just retired the car <laughs> for all the difference it was going to make. No, it's not, it's not like Monaco is going to give him good testing data, or anything, <laughs> is it? So, no, I mean, just he might as well have just went, retired that car and went for lunch or something." All the good it was going to do, but fair play, get battled on. Never mind. I guess, I guess there's always that
0: never know. You you never know if you're the lucky car that gets out before the safety car and then you unlap yourself and, and then. It's, That's true, yeah. It's a thing, isn't it? I guess. Um, to compound Williams' weekend, um, Valteri Bottas finished 14th, um, some 45 seconds behind, um, the the leaders. Um, I don't really remember him having any particular incidents I just think it was just he. that's where he qualified and therefore that's exactly where he stayed um, uh,
2: That seems to be a recurring theme in Formula 1 a little bit this season but even more so at a track like Monaco it's just impossible for him to make up any ground he, that, that Williams was was a dog this weekend uh, they're going to have to put that one just put that one to the side and and hope that that was just a one off, freak, freak and freak performance because of the unique uh, nature of Monaco and the and, and you know for a fact that they'll be about a thousand percent better in Canada with the way Canada works as a circuit, long straights. So, yeah, I think Williams is just going to have to take that one on the chin. Move on. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thirteenth place was uh, Marcus Ericsson in the Sauber, and. <sighs> Is it me, or do you get the feeling that as this season is going on, you we're really now starting to see the gulf in difference between the abilities of Ericsson and NASA? You know, they started off the season looking they were like they were quite close in pace, but NASA just seems to be streets ahead in, mm-hmm. in pace and racecraft and and everything else and Ericsson just seems to be second best in pretty much every department
2: really. Yep, I can agree with that. And I think that was the same when they were when they were both in G P two, NASA was up up the front. I don't think he won the title, but he was certainly winning races in GP two. I don't think Ericsson did anything noteworthy in GP two, particularly. Uh, I think he got his catering seat through finances. He's probably got the cyber seat through finances. NASA, whilst probably bringing a decent bit of money as well, at least showed in uh in GP two that he had the ability to Lead home. I feel he had the ability to win races in the formula he was in. So you know he's got something. It might not be necessarily world championship winning ability, but he's he's got something about him, Nazar. He's, he's, he, I think you're right. He's definitely beginning to uh, assert himself in that team.
0: Yeah, looking back at his uh, his sort of record in in GP two, um, yeah, he's not. Eighth and sixth in 2012 and 2013, or, or yeah, eighth, eighth in 2012, sixth in 2013, and then amazingly got <laughs> got a move up to Formula One. So yeah, we're we're pretty sure that it's not down to uh, how well he's done in his past racing career as as to why he's got a Formula One seat. So yeah, no
2: surprises there, I
0: guess. at
2: least NASA was winning races, you know, and, and challenging for the title. So. Clear a clear a clear gulf in GP two and looks like it's continued.
0: So after Ericsson comes Roman Grosjean, um, and I, I I suppose he's here in down here I should say uh, because of the incident that we'll we'll kind of talk about later to do with the uh, with the leaders. Um, but he was having, a, you know, a fairly decent showing, really, wasn't he? He was...
2: um he uh, was it was they were in the points when the incident happened, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. um And I, I just
0: get the feeling that, you know, Roman's doing really well for himself, I think, these days. He's really showing... Uh, oh, we tend to say it every single time we talk about him, but it's just a new kind of new maturity and showing that it, it, if you give a guy enough time and, and, and let him learn, you, you know... If they've got the natural talent, it it will come out, and and you know, um, we saw flashes of it when the Lotus was good, and I think, you know, he had the terrible season last season, but it's actually, it's actually allowed him to sort of become a little bit better, I think, in making moves or being more defensive because he's been in a bad car, and so he's had to learn that you know, it doesn't just come to you because your car's good. You've there, there are things you have to do to uh, ensure that you win. So. Uh, I, I've been impressed and um, one thing that I saw in the news I don't know if you saw this um, Lotus released a statement because everybody was saying that uh, Grosjean braked really early and they released a statement and they said uh, no he braked f- or broke five metres later than he did the previous lap
2: mm-hmm. yeah I've seen it yeah uh,
0: and that's why the FIA punished Verstappen because it wasn't a case that he was being brake tested. He may have slowed down harder, possibly, who knows, but he didn't brake later, so he broke, you know. Ericsson, uh, sorry, not Ericsson, uh, Verstappen can't really complain that, you know, that Lotus was in a weird position to where it was the lap before or had slowed down before. It's, hmm. Just one of those, uh, one of those things. I think uh, you know he'll just have to suck it up and uh, and move on and not be quite so eager to throw himself into gaps that are going to disappear. Um, he's rather gotten away with it in the last couple of races and had you know Brundle at all fawning over him, saying no,
2: they, they were really singing his praises, weren't they? Yeah, uh,
0: and I think this rather shows that. You know, sometimes if you put in Dandere, um all-or-nothing moves, you get all of it. But when you get nothing, it's fairly spectacular, and, you know, you end up looking like a bit of a numpty, as far as I'm concerned, anyway.
2: Yeah, it was his fault, as far as I'm concerned, as well. So, uh,
0: Nico Hülkenberg followed on from Roman Grosjean, or was in front of Roman Grosjean, I should say. Um, had a bit of an eventful... Uh, start to the race with his little uh, love tap from Fernando Alonso sent him careening into the uh, barriers lost his nose um, for which Fernando got uh, a five second stop go penalty which I thought was I thought was rather harsh because he was at least halfway up the inside of Hulkenberg it wasn't like he suddenly appeared from nowhere there's
2: you know um, I thought it was harsh too the this is the Monaco Grand Prix. It's the opening lap. You I mean, imagine the difficulty and in, in jostling for position on the opening lap and the Monaco Grand Prix. I think they need to have a little bit of common sense applied. Yeah. Uh. Sometimes, sometimes little things like that happen in racing. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have punished Fernando. Uh, Carlos
0: Sainz uh managed to get um his Toro Rosso into 10th place which i think is um uh, actually probably one of the most amazing drives um of the day realistically starting from the pit lane and managing to uh, get in the points in a car that's not necessarily all that great um and starting on what was probably the suboptimal strategy really um cuz he started on the opposite tires to everybody else um
2: am most- sorry I so. Um, most of
0: the other people who ran the alternative strategy didn't actually do too well. It didn't actually work out to be something that necessarily gave you um, any real advantage. So uh, I, I was very impressed by his driving, all in all.
2: What can you say? He made up 10 positions around, around Monaco. I mean, not, that's very rarely anybody makes up anywhere anywhere near that kind of kind of progress around the Monaco uh, Grand Prix in a track that we all know, anybody who watches Formula One knows how difficult it is to pass there. So yeah, I agree with you, absolutely great drive. Uh, and like like we kind of touched on earlier, he made a bit of a boo-boo in, in the Weybridge situation in qualifying, so kind of nice to at least see him just, you know, head down, put in a great drive and, and, and he grabbed the point. So well done, well done, Carlos.
0: Uh, another rookie doing well was uh, Felipe Nasr in the other Sauber, uh, coming in uh, ninth place. Um, very impressive drive again, but to be fair, slightly anonymous. Really, didn't see very much of him um, sort of throughout the uh, at the race. Um, he just seemed to be in and around other people's races, sort of in the background or, or just ahead of something else that was going on. So um, I-, I guess in a way, you should kind of maybe. Um, be be quite uh, impressed that somebody coming from gp2 who uh, who have quite a habit of causing chaos at monaco whenever they uh manage to get onto <laughs> yeah. the track um <laughs> actually had a particularly anonymous monaco grand prix for his first time out in a formula one car um
2: i think if he'd offered them ninth at the start of the weekend particularly because sauber haven't necessarily been that hot recently uh, they they took that. I uh, think that goes down as a a good couple of points for Cyber and a good couple of points for NASA.
0: So, in eighth place, and I am so massively convinced. relieved <laughs> to to say. It. Do you know what the nice thing is, is that it wasn't the last points position. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's true. It, it, it was a point raced and earned. Um, yeah, you
2: didn't sneak in there because only 10 cars finished the race or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, so Jensen and, Button scoring the first points for McLaren this season. Um,
2: and there was I... was a part of me. Sorry, there was a, just a... I, did, I was starting to wonder if they were going to go the whole season without getting points. So uh, I am... I am pleased for Jensen.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, I think the relief is that even if Canada is back to more of a usual thing and that they're you know, much more struggling to get into Q3 and uh, and um, having the ultimate race pace. At least they've shown that the package itself, even with a turned down engine, is good enough. If the package was crap and had no downforce, and the car slid and stuff like that, they'd have been in the barriers. Do you know what I mean? They'd have been losing wheels left, right, and centre. I think what it's shown is that the philosophy behind how that car's been designed is fundamentally good. Now you just got to maximize it. And that's a simple thing to say, but six races in, they've gone from back of the grid, no hope three or four seconds off the pace to being like 1.2 seconds off the pace and, or oh, maybe a bit more on a normal race, but with the ability to race for points with other teams. And that's, you know, that's miraculous really. Um, Caterham and Marussia haven't been able to do that in six years. And, OK, McLaren have probably thrown about as much money in the last six months as Marussia and Caterham have been able to generate in the last six years. But there you go then. It's still a, you know, at the end of the day, they still went out and they did it. And uh, if you're not impressed, then you're either looking to pick holes in it or you just can't enjoy anything. Because I, I think that's a, that should be a feel-good story for Formula 1, that it's not impossible for a team to develop a car back do you know what I mean? That you can't write, you don't have to write off a season if you start with a bad car. I think that's that should be a good thing for the sport. People should look at that and say, you know, not everything's so terrible in Formula One. It's not, you know, it doesn't just have to be that one car wins and and that's it. Other teams can develop a car and improve it and and get it somewhere, even if it doesn't start off that way.
2: Yeah, I'm not really got any more to say. But <laughs> <because. laughs> yeah, well, it's McLaren. It's
0: very difficult to get you to say nice things about McLaren, isn't it, Sean?
2: <laughs> I said it was pleased for them. <laughs> pleased
0: for the driver, maybe not for the team.
2: I get, it. I get it. <laughs> um, pleased for the next guy, Sergio Perez finishing in seventh. Uh,
0: I think a, a, an amazing result, possibly, uh, possibly the result of the race, really. Um, because that car was not as good as the McLarens uh, at, at this race, and probably not really at most of the races. Really going forward, they still haven't updated the car. Um, there's, you know, th- that car is not going anywhere fast. It's not improving. So to be able to get it to seventh and 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 keep it there is um, a, a bit special. Um, Perez has always quite liked Monaco. He's always been quite. Um, you know punchy uh, at the venue i think from remembering you know in, even you know back in the mclaren when it wasn't still well he was still he was still pretty good at the track um, uh, you know and uh, and in the other outings he's had there apart from when he smashed it obviously um <laughs> into the um, barrier down at the uh, chicane do you remember that the
2: yeah did he not take an injury um, he was he got was concussion like... didn't he because yeah, he, he didn't race in canada
0: i think uh, the next time out and i'm sure I'm sure Felipe Masher wished that, bit, that had been the same year that he crashed into him that he hadn't been racing, but there you go. Um, so yeah, you know, I I don't have a lot of time for Force India because I think the team has, is being run very badly. Bob Fernley is not giving them great PR because he seems to come out and complain about everything and that um, there's only one way to do things and it's the way that makes it good for Force India. And I, I you know... I know all the other teams are like that, but he just seems to do it an awful lot. Um, And like I said, I don't think Vijay's necessarily doing the greatest job in keeping that team running financially well. Um, I think they're very lucky that they've got Perez in the car who brings a lot of money from, um, I was going to say, tex-mex but it's not is it it's telmex i think is the <laughs> the mm. mexican telephone people tex-mex is something completely different that's the uh that's the dips it's, isn't it that you it's buy just from Tesco's. Fr- <laughs> it's,
2: it's not just mexican food in general <laughs> mexican food from uh, texas yeah te- uh,
0: tex-mex yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I, i'm i'm pleased for the driver to have um shown stuff because and especially because hulkenberg had kind of been doing a lot better than him
2: recently um yeah, I like Perez. I like Perez. I'm glad to see he had a good weekend, and he qualified it well as well. You know, he qualified in seventh, so it wasn't just you know that he'd gotten gotten punch in the race and snuck a few positions with that. He obviously had some decent pace as well to put the car there in qualifying. Uh, like we say, we'll, Canada will be a bit more of an acid test for both for McLaren as well and the Force India because. Like you, you alluded to earlier, Monaco can level certain, uh, certain things. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what they do in Canada. I suspect they probably don't have the same... And this goes for both of both them, for I'm a clan, Probably don't have the pace that they would have here, I would, I would say, maybe. But we'll wait and see.
0: You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast the home of F1 Banter. With Andy and Sean at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk Moving into the big boys' territory, as we might call the top six realistically in in, a, in Formula One. Yeah, that um, sounds
2: about a fair... Well, you know, normally you'd expect Williams. Well, to yeah, that, it, enough, so.
0: that was the only reason why I suddenly thought... <laughs> I'd kind of double-thought myself thinking, oh, well, yeah, yeah, you probably
2: wouldn't normally put Red Bull in there, would you? But, um, <laughs> this so, just kind, of, kind of goes back to what I was saying about Force India and McLaren and the, the previous races, the big gaps being sort of levelled out a little bit, proven again with the Red Bulls who were able to... They were certainly closer this weekend to the Ferraris and the Mercs than they'd been all, all season. Anywhere so, else, yeah. So this, again, like the other team, we'll see if that see if that's the same in Canada. I suspect not. Mm. So
0: Kimmy ends up in sixth, um, and I think that was rather a rather harsh reflection on his race, realistically, because um, I don't think he would have been. behind the the rebels had Ricardo not decided to. Um, give him a little tap in the same place that uh, Alonso got his penalty for um
2: and then Ricardo went unpunished of course
0: <laughs> and i i was very surprised by that because Ricardo's one looked much much later and much more of a kind of oh sorry i'm going to go for this gap uh because i know i've got no other choice whereas Fernando seemed like he'd actually genuinely gotten quite far up the inside of Hülkenberg before they touched um I loved Kimmy's uh, radio message.
2: Oh, it was tremendous again this weekend. <laughs> That's uh, not very nice. And there was <laughs> there was a the bit where he was swearing as well, and the, some poor editor had to go and bleep out his radio transmission so that they could be aired. Uh, he said uh, these bleep back markers or something like that. It was just uh, oh these bleeping not... back markers. What am I supposed to do? Overtake yeah. them? <laughs> it's phenomenal like i just I, the amount of money at a charity auction i would bid for a pint with that man <laughs> is uh, astronomical yeah you i guess? really
0: did i really did like that wasn't very nice <laughs>
2: That's not. how they should fund, that's a great idea, that's how they should fund Manor and these backmarker teams, auction stuff off to fans like us who would probably cobble together every penny we've ever had for <laughs> dinner with Kimi Raikkonen, you know, <laughs> it's genius, I've just solved Formula 1's financial crisis.
0: <laughs> bees with Kimi.
2: A lap, in, you could do a lap in the two-seater car, you could do... You know, getting to do the grid walk with Martin Brundle one weekend. Loads of different things you could, you guys could bid and have, you know, it all goes to the charity, the charity being Manor. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>, make <laughs> right a wish. Yeah, I've just nailed it, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Kimi right, and what a man. Just a different, different class of down to earth, <laughs> like, just, you... you know, <laughs> The difference between like him and without wanting to go too into too much Lewis Hamilton or somebody is just astronomical for me.
0: No, absolutely. Um, so ahead of Kimi, then came uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, a bit of a funny thing going on because um, it only really played out in the last uh, the last laps after the uh, incident, um, where he was um, behind Danny Kvyat, but on much fresher tyres, having um, uh, did he pit, but... No, I can't remember. Anyway, the 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 upshot was that he was behind Kvyat, but on fresher tyres. So the team said, okay, you now have eight laps to do... um, to, to see what you can do. Oh, maybe he did pit. So that's why I can't remember. Anyway... I
2: don't think he pitted under the safety car, but I think he was just... The way the strategies had gone, Kvyat, yeah, was, was a, it was ahead on old tires, and Ricardo was behind on quicker tires, just through okay. natural, just through natural strategy. I might be wrong; I could be. Stand to get corrected, but I don't think Ricardo pitted under the safety car. I think that was just the way the race had panned out. He was behind. Yeah, but with new tires. Yes. Yeah.
0: So they ordered Curiet to let Ricardo through, but on the proviso that if. Um, Ricardo didn't make up another place, so basically couldn't go from fourth to third, then he had to give the place back. Which is really interesting, I, I thought. I
2: thought that was really a really cool move by a Red Bull, to be perfectly honest. Uh,
0: and I think it shows a mark of Daniel Ricardo that he yeah. actually did. Yeah. Because I can vaguely imagine a Sebastian Vettel or Vettel, sorry, just that's... Just, just
2: staying in front.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Would have just gone, uh well I'm here now, let's see if he can overtake me.
2: This this <laughs> might be this might be the first time in Red Bull history that everybody's come out of it looking <laughs> everybody's well. Everybody's <laughs> gone, Team orders. They actually <laughs> work. You've got Christian Horner coming out looking good for or whoever decided to make the call, but I assume it was Horner, he's the man at the top. Coming out looking good because it's quite a fair thing to do between the drivers. You've got Danny Ricciardo coming out looking good um, because he's given the place back, and you've got Danny Fiat looking good because he's, and he's had fourth. a great drive. That's probably the best drive of his career, yet. yeah. So, every, every, positive, positive, positive for the Red Bull team. Not very often that happens.
0: <laughs> no. No, not at all.
2: Uh, well, that
0: covers sixth or fourth now. Now now now. The incident. <laughs> as it will headsport as the incident. Mm. So if Max Verstappen careens through the back of uh, Roman Grosjon,
2: crashes which was, into which was the best crash I've seen in a while. Like and that says more about how little crashes we get these days. Well but... you don't you very rarely get
0: big crashes like that between the cars. People go off the road or something happens and they have a crash. It's actually fairly unusual to see a big crash where the cars have touched like that, I think, Uh, unless it's a a turn one incident, uh, you know, first turn um, kind of incident. So, uh, yeah, a bit of an odd one and a a nasty one for Max because he went into that barrier very hard. Um, At least Grosjean was able to break, but...
2: Yeah, I'll certainly, you know, it's like, okay, you're 17, the honeymoon period's over, welcome to Formula One, <laughs> 200 <laughs> yes. miles an hour straight into up, you know. But, but yeah, it was, it was a good one in a, in a you know, in, in a funny sense of the word, good. But, but Well, he, yes. wa- he walked away, so
0: at the yeah, end of the exactly. day, you can say, oh, good crash. It's only when they don't get to walk away that you got to be a little bit more uh, circumspect about uh, saying it, but...
2: Sure. So a safety car comes out.
0: Well, it doesn't. The virtual safety car oh, that's comes true. out.
2: Fair enough. For about half a minute, I think, and then they just they just called it a real safety car, didn't they?
0: I think it did. Um, they either did one lap or like a lap and a half, I think. It wasn't out for very long at all. So they obviously must have done it and then gone. Ooh, uh, actually, it's going to take a lot more um, work to get that Toro Rosso out of the uh, out of the barrier, um, and then changed it from a virtual safety car to a safety car now for those who are maybe kind of not aware um about uh what the difference between a virtual safety car and a safety car is a virtual safety car means that the cars slow down to a delta on their lap times so they have to follow a you know a prescribed speed basically and the gaps between the cars must be maintained so if you're 21 seconds ahead in first the person in second can't you know can't do um you know sort of massive sectors to try and catch up time whilst being slightly slow in other ones to maintain a delta between the sections so you know you could go faster in a, a longer section and then slower in another section so that the, you know your overall delta is lower is this is correct but um you don't take so much of the penalty and in fact you're actually keeping up catching up with somebody who does an average speed through all of them um, but with a safety car, you have to maintain a certain delta. But you you have to ca- you are allowed to catch up to the safety car, so you can actually go quicker under a real safety car than you can under the virtual safety car. In essence, um, and that seems to be I think at the crux of why it um, why it ended up being such a problem, because originally when Lewis went into the pits. Realistically, he was 21 seconds ahead. So he should, give or take, have come out much closer to Rosberg, but he really didn't. Um, And that's where it gets into the realm of, well, whose fault was it? Now, I put it on our Twitter, so hopefully people have seen this. If not, you can pop onto our Twitter and take a look. Um, It's a link to an... Uh, An article from um, F1Fanatic.co.uk. And it's the actual radio message um, between Lewis and Pete Bonington, his race engineer. Uh, Have you seen this? Cool. So we'll we'll just read it out of you. So Pete Bonington says to Lewis Hamilton, safety car, safety car, so we are staying out. Lewis then says to Peter Bonington, are you sure it's the best thing to stay out? These tyres have lost all their temperature everyone's going to be on super softs now pete bonington okay copy copy box box now to me that says the team were quite happy for him to stay out lewis complained that he thinks that his tires aren't going to do it for whatever reason whether it's because he looks on the tvs and thinks he sees people pitting whatever the team then panic and then bring him in. To me, that suggests that the only reason that they brought him in was because he complained about his tyres. So ultimately, whilst the team could have overruled him and said, no, no, you're staying out, the ultimate person that can tells them whether the car can do anything is the driver. You know, they can look at all of the, the information on the, on the pit wall and stuff and say, no, no, the car looks fine or tyre temps look okay or tyre life should be fine. But if the driver says, you know, I don't think we should do this, or I'm not sure, I agree with you, they've got to take that into consideration. They have to take that into consideration. Of and can so. you imagine if it had gone the other way?
2: Yeah, if they hadn't pitted him, and and I don't know whoever behind him comes out on and Super they did and, and, it- uh, and nails him into the chicane or something. He'd be going mental on the on the radio saying why did we not pit? Why did we not pit? So yeah,
0: especially as it would have been well, you pitted Nico. Why didn't you pit me? Yeah. So at the end of the day, he got the what he got the decision because he was first, uh, and they thought they could get away with it. As it turns out, they couldn't get away with it. But they only tried to get away with it because Lewis said he didn't think that they'd um, mm-hmm. that staying out would work because of the tyres. Definitely-
2: Everybody has to take a share of the blame, here. Like I don't I don't think you can just blame the team. You can't just blame Lewis. You can't just blame the engineer You can't just blame the guy on the wheels. You can't just blame everybody anybody It's a team game at the end of the day and you you win and lose together So you're right. Lewis has to take blame because he's ultimately said the tires are whatever cold or worn and the team have to take blame because they've got they've got all the information at their disposal with regards to sector times and gaps to who's behind and and things like that so they they should be in a position to make the best call so yeah we could I'm sure we could sit in um and ah for for hours about it but at the end of the day it's a team game and I think they all the driver right through the team they all got it wrong
0: uh, so, again, as we all saw, the net result was that Lewis ended up, um, thanks to the pit stopper and possibly being held up a little bit by the Sauber going past in the pit straight, coming out behind Sebastian Vettel into third place. Um,
2: albeit- that was the best thing about it, Vettel <laughs> getting out of his front of him as well, because that, that was just like the double whammy, you know, the, the little bit of icing on the cake. And I think the interesting thing was that,
0: realistically, um, Lewis had come out on quicker tyres brand new fresh sets compared to old cold ones you know, on Vettel's car and then he wasn't able to do this stuff now maybe you might say that the safety car period lasted a bit, a bit too long
2: even still at any other circuit in the world he wins that race anyone
0: well and I still think You know, I I find it surprising that he wasn't able to overtake at least Vettel, given the comparative age of the tires.
2: I think that's just the nature of Monaco. But you can
0: you can overtake, you can make moves, but it seemed like it seemed like he got so disheartened, and then after the restart, he couldn't get it done in a couple of laps, that he just seemed to go. He did
2: get on the radio and say, "Can't overtake," you know. He does that. He gives it maybe one or two laps, and then. If it isn't obvious that he had to get by, he does say on the radio, this is impossible. Remember, it was just, was it not the last race where he would, they put him on the, uh, the alternative strategy, was it Spain? Mm-hmm. And they, they because you had a couple of laps behind, was it Vettel and, 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 uh, we can't, can't pass, we need to pit. And fair enough, yeah, it is tough to pass around Catalonia and it is tough, it's extremely tough to pass around Monaco.
0: But if you've got an advantage then it's something you gotta try and yeah, it, it, it kind I, of I, I felt like he yeah. he only went surprised. he only looked in one place really and he thought that the only place that it was going to kind of happen was um out of the tunnel
2: the is, to, so we're com- coming out of port uh, into the tunnel that'll put Vettel, everything yeah.
0: into that he, that was the one place he knew that yeah. it was going to happen and it kind of made me think well why didn't you try and think about doing something into Portier? It's possible. All you've got to do is, um, is be there to, you know, try and shake him and make him think that, what or, you know, because in the end, what happened, that Vettel knew exactly when the attack was coming and prepared everything for that one place. And it didn't happen anywhere else. And he didn't even look like he was trying to do it anywhere
2: else. So, you could, see it. You could it, see it on the onboard when Ferrari on board the Ferrari, looking back to the Mercedes, Vettel was able to completely pull a decent gap at the entrance of the tunnel, so that when they got to the chicane, Lewis was just too far behind, no matter what. I don't know whether Vettel was using all of his boost there or something, but whatever he did, he was able to get a great run off of the exit of Porte and, and scoosh a wee bit clear coming out of the, coming into the tunnel. And like you say, that, that was all she wrote. Lewis, Lewis wasn't able to do anything it just seemed too simple to me it seemed too simple
0: for Vettel to do that and uh, you know again I'm, I'm not denying that there aren't that many places that you can do overtaking but you can and people are shown it in similar cars it's possible so if you've got an advantage how did it seem that there wasn't you know it it never even looked like it was close to happening. And I just, it, it amazes me that that was the case. I just can't understand it. And, and so that leads me to think the only thing it can be is that the driver was so, you know, despondent about having lost the lead, it, you know, it
2: totally threw him. Here's food for thought. Do you think, do you think DRS is killing the art of overtaking? Um, because now everybody just waits to DRS zone pop it past thank you very much and on with the day so they don't need to think about overtaking in places that they may not normally overtake
0: I don't think that's true because I think you see Daniel Ricciardo making lots of moves in unusual places um, I would
2: I'm, not, I'm just playing devil's advocate I'm not yeah. saying this is what I believe but I would, ha- I would say that Danny Rick's probably the one these days rather than he's probably the anomaly around. I think Grosjean I does know. it occasionally. Yeah. and
0: uh, a, Certainly Lewis Hamilton overtakes in different places. Vettel does as well. Uh, they tend to have favourite places or, or favourite methods of overtaking, but they but they do, and it isn't all DRS-assisted. So I I would probably disagree and say that it's killing the art. I think there might be some people coming into Formula 1 who will be very surprised the day that DRS goes away again and... It's all about um, jinking and dummying and um, forcing your opponent to do things that allow you to, you know, get ahead uh, when the cars are much closer together. And DRS will eventually go, oh, well, we don't need DRS anymore. It's silly because the cars are so close that when you give, a, you know, a car drag reduction, it's infinitely faster than the car. Or at least, you know, at, at this point in, in the life of the um, uh, of the cars, it's only helping a slow car catch up to a faster car. This is not pr- really what DRS was designed to do, really, was it? Um, it was supposed to aid people who had got stuck behind in the dirty air of another car. That they were less, you know, since they'd lost downforce, the least you could do is give them greater greater speed in a straight.
2: I'm not sure what i believe i just thought i'd pose the question <laughs> uh, further further research is required on that one i think for me but, well
0: um... listeners it, give us your thoughts uh, send us a send us a tweet or uh, contact us on facebook and uh, and let us know what do you think do you think drs is killing the art of driving uh, the art of overtaking sorry in uh, formula 1 um i know drs is generally not seen as a as a positive step in formula 1 as a artificial means of overtaking but it serves a purpose but um, you know, could that purpose be sort of outweighed by the fact that it's uh, it's not helping drivers uh, learn their craft as well? Interesting point. You're listening to the Last Lap podcast. So just to round off uh, all the points positions, uh, obviously Vettel finished second
2: and Rosberg finished first. <laughs> Rosberg's Christmases came at once. Yeah, well. absolutely. <laughs> like, that's the third consecutive Monaco Grand Prix for Nico. So say what you like about the circumstances in which it came about. That's a great achievement. Three Monaco Grand Prix in a row. Not, well, many people, not many people do that.
0: At, at the end of the day, it's as they say that... Um, you've got to be there to win it, isn't it? it, If if he'd given up and just allowed himself to fall back 30 seconds and pushed Vettel back, you know, even further, then it wouldn't have mattered. That's
2: it. And sometimes strategy goes your way. Sometimes it goes against you. This is formula one, you know?
0: Absolutely. Let's have a quick talk about what happened after the Grand Prix. Uh, And Lewis is slightly, uh, and I am going to say it, even if people disagree with me. Slightly unsavory behaviour. I kind of felt that. You I know, mean, I felt for him. You know, he'd lost the race in a, in crappy circumstances. I, I don't expect my Formula One drivers to be emotionless robots who don't show that they're upset. He, you know, I don't expect him to be smiling and leaping around and going "Yay, third place!" or anything <laughs> like that. Do you know what I mean? In the same way that I didn't expect Mark Webber to be doing the same thing after Multi Twenty One, um, or Nico Rosberg to be jumping around going "Yay, Mercedes won the drivers' cons- the drivers' championship and the drivers' cha- uh, uh, the constructors' champion and the drivers' championship this year." I didn't win it, but yay for Lewis and yay for Mercedes after he, you know, disastrously c- couldn't score any points in uh, uh, in Singapore. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not a case of that, but if he'd stopped at Portier, which he did, to gather his thoughts and go, okay, have a quick, you know, there's some quick radio chatter back and forth, maybe. You know, once once he's had that moment, you know, and, and, and had the chat with the pit wall and, and whatever it is, as a professional sports person, sometimes you... You do just have to suck it up, don't you? You have to go out there and you have to go through and do all of the rigmarole that there is at the end of an event. The people who finish third in a race at the Olympics have to go and take their bronze medal. And they may not care about getting a bronze in the Olympics if what they were hoping for was gold. You know, you you can be happy for bronze if, you know, that was the best you could hope for or that was more than you could hope for. But if you're going for going for gold and you have a chance at gold and you get bronze, you're probably not happy about getting bronze. But you have to go up and you take the medal and you shake the hands and you wave to the crowd and you do the things that you're supposed to do as a sports person. Mm-hmm. I don't think what you do, if you are the Formula One world champion, is come in, smack into the third place sign, go up onto the podium, um... Okay, you know, he shook Nico's hands and did that bit. But then when he got the champagne, he just took it and wandered halfway down the pit straight. He didn't go to his race team, who don't make strategy calls, but they do, you know, help him manage his front brake temperatures, which he was complete, you know, which could have cost him the race in the first 10 laps. You know what I mean? And they didn't mess up his pit stop, regardless. It, you know, he could have at least gone over and said, um, you know thanks for your effort for his for the guys on the ground you know the the grunts who who keep his car running and all the other bits and pieces doesn't have to thank you know don't have to thank paddy or toto or anything like that and there's not anybody in that team that's gonna you know throw it in his face or anything like that it just seemed to me that it was just all a bit all a bit of a tantrum mm-hmm. um And I I think that a lot of that was down to the fact that he realised that he played a very big part
2: in the reason that he lost the race. Um, Do you think it was as much of a... He's beating himself up and and burying himself in his mind rather than... I think so. I think there was that... Rather than being angry with the team sort of
0: thing. There was that to it. But then, again, you know, everybody makes mistakes and you you are in the public eye and I don't think for somebody being paid the amount of money that they're getting paid in a high profile sport, doing what they love and all the other bits that go is that there it's unfair for there to be an expectation that you are a gracious winner and a gracious loser and that you purport yourself in a, in a way that, that shows that whilst winning is everything and that you are trying your hardest every time to go out and win that when it doesn't go your way, you don't, you know, you don't spit the dummy, and that, and that, but that goes for everybody. Anybody who's in that situation, you, you know, get through the bits that are all oral public, go back to the motorhome, and then have a kick off. I don't care what you say in private. I don't care if you then swear at Toto and Paddy and Pete Bonington or any or any of those things, and have a good kick off and get it out of your system. But just for the audience, the fans, the young kids who are watching. And see, you know, or watching real heroes. And, uh, you know, I don't say that lightly. I, uh, motor racing is damn dangerous. Um, and they are taking their life into their hands for our entertainment. Uh, and I appreciate all of that bit. But there, there are other things to being a professional sports than just being good at what you do. Do, do you know what I
2: mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, it's the same for, like you say, it's not just a Formula One thing, it's... Every sport, you know. Look at f- football, for example. if a team, just team gets relegated in the last day of the season, they still have to come out and face the music and the press and stuff. So, no one likes losing. You're right when you say that they have to be a gracious loser as well as a gracious winner. Um,
0: and, and I and I think he's still uh. A, let's give him his due because uh, you know I have my opinions on the man, but I, I want to be fair as well. After the race, and after they did all of that, he seemed to be in a better position. He he took on the the responsibility of it. It, it seemed that he'd said he, he was he came out and said it's you know it was partly my call or I was partly at fault for it. Uh, and then it just kind of and that just made me just think well, if you could have just taken been that bit more pragmatic about it when he came in, I think everybody would have actually respected you more if you just went you know obviously I'm gutted. But these things happen, um, and it just means in Canada I'll be more prepared to make sure I'm even farther ahead so this kind of thing can't even happen. Bosh. Done. And everybody goes, wow, what a mentally strong, great competitor that guy is, instead of there being these questions about his temperament and, you know, and all this kind of sort of thing. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. The home of F1 banter with Andy and Sean at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk.
2: Obviously, the uh, I'm sure there's many people out there who thought Lewis was uh, entirely justified in every in every single one of his actions. Um, I'm I'm i I'm, I'm, I'm more. I'm somewhat in the middle, but I, I I lean slightly more towards your side of it than than their side of it. Uh he does definitely. He should. He probably should have should have reined it in a little bit, especially when he had the interview with Brundle. He, you know, he said, "What was it?" He said, "He went, oh, I can't really say anything right now. I I don't want. I don't. I I won't be allowed to say what I want to say. So I'll just not say anything or something along those lines." <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, he probably should have should have sucked up a little bit more there but you know it it's Lewis, isn't it
0: <laughs> yes, it is Lewis, I guess, at the end of the day, and on that basis you you know you you are you feel one way or you feel the other, I guess, so there you go
2: just one more time before we move on how great was Sebastian Vettel's reaction to the entire thing <laughs> he was having the best time he was I could not take the smile off his face if you just told him his dog had died like it was so good it was brilliant when uh, Brindel those all somber and then he just jumps in at the background going I'm happy like <laughs> completely like I, his interview's already been and gone but he's still bouncing about absolutely cheesing it was i have not, to admit wasn't quite he's not like that happy in years like, like he's brilliant like even when he was winning races at red bull he wasn't like he was more smug and you know <laughs> like uh grumpy seb even though i'm winning and stuff like that But that was just i felt like it was the most human i've ever seen sebastian <laughs> little, yeah which was, which was nice He's ma- almost maturing a little bit from the the petulant sort of adolescent he maybe was in his early days at red bull so good it was great to see i really really enjoyed that so that rather wraps up the monaco
0: grand prix i think um so let's take a look at what's going on in the formula one news the final lap podcast And just to make sure that you knew that Mr. Bernard Eccleston was totally going dribbly insane. Um, he's come out and said that um, Rosberg and Sebastian Vettel are not good for Formula One business compared to Lewis Hamilton uh, pointing out that uh, Lewis going to all these red carpet events and bits and pieces and hanging around with celebrities uh, is somehow promoting Formula One quite how it's performing formula one i don't really know because there's nobody who watches e-entertainment or reads heat goes hmm lewis hamilton he's wearing a nice suit i'm gonna sit down and watch two hours of motorsport
2: yeah <laughs> no i'm with you on that one <laughs>
0: do you not know I mean uh, the, the way that you attract people to this sport is make the sport interesting racing has got to be interesting and then people will gravitate towards the drivers that they like and the teams that they like, and that's what will keep them in the sport. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's Even if there are people now watching 4-1 solely because of Lewis Hamilton, and and I mean literally, they could not care anything about it. They probably wouldn't even watch a race, but they are interested in seeing where he finishes and talking about him and nothing else other than Lewis Hamilton. How old is he now? Is he 32? Yes. Like, I think something like that.
2: I'm not 100 percent sure, to be honest. He's about that. He's what? Maybe
0: probably five years more left in Formula One, give or take. If he if he
2: bothers. He's thirty. So.
0: Is he thirty? Okay. So yeah, probably a um, probably five or six years then, give or take, because usually about 36 is about as long as most most drivers bother to go. Sometimes they go a bit longer, but um. You know, it, it, let let's say that thirty six seems like a reasonable age for most Formula One drivers to think to to consider coming out of the sport. What's Formula One going to do then? It, it, is it suddenly going to die because Lewis Hamilton isn't the champion anymore?
2: Not exactly.
0: What What's the business based on? You know, whoever has the most Twitter followers, because social media is the absolute pinnacle of everything. Despite the fact that Bernie said that he didn't think that Formula One should even have a Twitter account, huh? what just just go away bernie you just get further and further from having any idea about how the modern world works every time you open your mouth and it's just beyond really beyond me
2: i mean what, what do you say <laughs> it's like bernie of says something insane newsflash <laughs> Just it's just like uh, again, like yeah, he's completely, he's completely wrong. By the way, and yeah. like 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 I needed to point that out. Like, but yeah, I mean, just, just because Sebastian Vettel and Nico Rosberg don't plaster their private life all over wherever celebrity private life gets plastered these days, I don't know, magazines the sun, (laughs) that doesn't mean what's good, like you said what's good for Formula 1 is good drivers racing each other the personalities is like at the bottom of the totem pole and even then a factor that, you know just as many people who like Lewis's personality, probably dislike his personality as well so uh, I just don't know what to say about it well, I mean there isn't really, is there? It's kind
0: of you just you're just waiting for the time that he has to give up the reins and hoping that whoever replaces him, you know
2: What is it with these crazy dictators running uh, sports? Like it's like can we not just have some sensibilism please? Like God damn it. <laughs> well I meant
0: so... I, I sent out a tweet before we went on air actually. Uh oh no I didn't, sorry, um Something I saw on Facebook actually say uh, somebody said, "Ah, oh, in what what kind of sport could some tinpot dictator rule sport uh, for an indefinite period of time?" And then there was a picture of Bernie Eccleston and went, "Oh," <laughs> and I said, "Well, it's worse for FIFA because they keep on voting blatter in. At least, <laughs> no. at least Bernie bought his dictatorship, but it's his.
2: It's like just they're both in their mid to late eighties as well, like." Give it up, guys. Move on. Let someone else take over. How long can it continue? Oh.
0: Not, not forever is is my hope. Realistically,
2: I'm surprised that Doug had to dig at Vettel as well. I can understand him having a go at Rosberg because clearly Lewis is his favourite. But I thought him and Vettel used to be pretty tight. As well, he, as didn't I he want thinking. he
0: wanted Vettel to marry one of his
2: daughters, didn't he? Yeah, they used to be pretty tight. But oh, there maybe, you go. Maybe Vettel turned her down, and that's why he's bitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes you're not the son-in-law now you're gonna have had a baby with somebody else that's it off the christmas card list but lewis, seb, lewis
2: is free and single so <laughs> seb and kimi seem uh, sorry seb and nico seem a little bit more like towards the kimi raikkonen end of the spectrum if kimi is at one end and lewis is at the, <laughs> other, the other opposite end yeah seb and, Ki- uh, seb and nico kind of slide closer definitely closer towards the Hikimi Raikkonen mentality and I, and I, I know what i know what i think's best for formula one that's all i'm saying uh
0: in other news graham Loden of uh Manor, Marussia, maria Man maria um <laughs> that's like to call them because nobody knows really which which one of those two names you're really supposed to call them um has criticized the strategy group um of all the things that everybody already knows are uh, is wrong with the strategy group in that it's uh, an organisation of the teams deciding the rules uh, and regulations of the sport that they participate in uh, and the handling of prize money in the sport that they're in uh, and and basically something to do with how, how their sport a- actively happens. Nowhere is that a good idea. There's nowhere where people think it's a good idea that people with a self-interest are, are given the keys to the asylum. Why does Formula One continue to insist on this strange idea that somehow the teams are going to come good and actually agree on everything that's good for the sport and not just good for their individual teams?
2: Precisely. Teams should be told what's happening. I know it's an <laughs> idealistic like, view of it because the fact of the matter is Ferrari have a big load of power, Mercedes have a big load of power, but you know you wouldn't you wouldn't get twenty Premier League clubs going oh I think um we'll just have we'll have um ten minutes a half instead of ninety minutes a half or something I don't know something well, but it be like it would
0: that. be it's almost the equivalent to saying um the Premier League teams all get together and manage to um push through a rule saying if you've got more than thirty thousand seats in a stadium, you automatically start every single game with an extra goal
2: yeah exactly,
0: and then all the little teams go oh. Huh and then but all the established premiership teams go well we've all got grounds over over 30,000 capacity and um, there's more of us than you so <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Yeah, you it's... wouldn't it just wouldn't let it happen or like if you've got over a 30,000 seat stadium the offside rule doesn't count for you. <laughs> but it does for the other team. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
2: the Premier League dictates the rules of oh. FIFA, football, whatever, FA, they dictate the rules and the teams have to adhere to it, like it yep. or lump it, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> but Formula One has long marched to its own, its own drum with this kind of thing. Wow. Well, it, it
0: has been the way it has been for such a long time. It just feel like there's a bit of a.
2: It's very unique in its kind of political makeup.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's. um i guess it's from the basis that uh, it came from such a sort of team and driver-led position really to make it what it was before sort of bernie came in and took it away from the teams, so i guess there's just some lingering thoughts on who should have power in there but it, you know it kind of does need to be taken away from them you're listening to the last lap podcast f1 for fans by fans Interestingly, Kevin Magnussen has been out in the press saying that um, Stoffel Van Dorn deserves an F1 seat. Um, in it's a probably, rare, probably
2: right. <laughs> well, I was just <laughs> going to say, in, in a
0: rare showing of a Formula 1 driver making the case for another driver in Formula 1, I think he's pretty much spot on. Um, Van Dorn is absolutely destroying GP2 this season in his second season in GP2, after finishing second in his first season. Um, I, I think this kid is going to be something special I I, I just don't think that there's any any doubt now that he's got some special racing in him
2: yep I'm inclined to agree I've not seen a lot of GP2 this season nowhere near as much as I should have but yeah he looks he looks good, he looks the real deal he looked really good even last season at times uh, in his debut GP2 season Let's be honest. Fernando and uh, Jensen aren't any spring chickens. So, Magnussen and Van Dorm are probably the future of a McLaren F1 team.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think that's the thing for both of them really to to hold on to is that, um, I think Jensen's only contracted to twenty sixteen. Fernando is twenty eighteen. I think didn't he say he had a three year contract? Yeah, he's got a three year deal, uh, and that's where the and I suspect it's probably one of those ones that. Um, If he doesn't feel like it, he could probably leave after two anyway. So there may be something opening up for 2018, if not 2019. And I I think that's not, I don't think that's impossible for both of those drivers to hang on and wait for those seats. Because I I just, I don't see where there's this huge crop of talented drivers all coming from. There's one or two in GP2 every season, it seems, uh, that the team's pick from. So if you've already got two really good drivers in your stable um, and they're primed really with so much time ahead of them in their careers, um, you, you don't have to pull the trigger, do you? To...
2: No, I agree. There that, that doesn't need to be a rush. Not everybody needs to be thrown in at 17 like a Max Verstappen or whatever Edge Vettel was when he first debuted, like... Like you say, thirty six, thirty seven's the end of your Formula One career. If you don't get in until you're twenty three, twenty four, you're still getting a fifteen year career. Uh, so, well, exactly. You know, we don't need to rush everything. Uh, I think Mag- I think McLaren did the right thing in keeping Jensen this season over Kevin Magnussen when that was the big hot topic. And I think they'll do the right thing and in- and in slowly, blending stuff of Van Dorn. And it'll probably be for the benefit of both those drivers. Maybe not Magnussen because he's not really doing anything at the moment. He could have done with having a, a formula to drive in this season. Um, But Van Dorm winning the GP2 career, winning the GP2 championship this in, in this stage in his career is probably more beneficial for him than trundling around the back of the grid in a manner. To me, anyway, you're getting... It's it's learning what it's like to win and be a winner,
0: Mm -hmm. and be and being a real Formula One team, I think, where Mm -hmm. the expectations on the drivers to be good, give good feedback, and be the complete package is so much higher than in a Mauritia where you know your feedback's fairly meaningless because where are they developing the car or what can they really do? You know, they can (laughs) their whole entire development scheme is a tweak of front wing here on there, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? They it's not about making radical changes to the car based on what the the driver's coming back. But McLaren can do that. So your your feedback is paramount. You have to give um, good feedback so the team can improve the car.
2: Look at Fernando. He had the year in the Minardi and then he had the year off doing the testing for the Renault. And then he came back into the Renault after a year off and was winning races. So And and, and, to be, and a guy like Grosjean did it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And when he came back, he was a much improved driver so i think i think the future is bright for magnuson and it's certainly not a bad thing that he's had the year off Uh, and it's certainly not a bad thing that van dorn isn't being rushed (laughs) and i guess the thing you'd have to say is what would kevin magnuson
0: be doing for his f1 career in the current mclaren
2: yeah well exactly
0: it's not going to showcase his talent, so they're better
2: <laughs> off with who they've got in the cars because they're more likely to be able to develop it. So. Ab-
0: absolutely, he's he's going to reap the benefits of having you know two world champions having developed the car for two to three years before he gets his gets his shot in it. You know, it's they're much more likely to be uh, up at the front racing for wins than they were when even he got his drive in Formula One. You know, it was a bad car he got in the first place. It's nowhere near as bad as it's been this year for them, but still, you know. Uh, I think there is something to be said for waiting to see how well this project does and being in the pole position for the seat when it comes up.
2: Yep, absolutely.
0: However, if he was searching for a new team, uh, the FIA have said that they are searching for another new entry for 2016 which seems a bit odd, uh, to announce it uh, halfway through 2015.
2: Doesn't exactly give give anybody a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) No. Should we put a Formula One team together over Mm. the weekend, you know? I've got a couple of days off work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think so. So,
0: yeah, so the uh, Haas Racing is already coming in. So that's the US team that have pretty much partnered with Ferrari to uh, create an entry. But the uh, FAI are looking to... uh, well, basically, they've invited people to apply for um, another spot on the grid. Um, I just, it seems a bit odd to just go, uh, yeah, um, people, uh, and this is the best thing. The Those interested in joining the pinnacle of motorsport have to register that they're interested by the 30th of June. Um, this will be the, you know, sort of <laughs> end of May that this, this was released. And a full repro- proposal required by September 1st. So, yeah, we're going to give you basically three months to try and put together an entire pro- proposal for a brand new Formula One team.
2: Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> it seems a bit silly, and I can't see there being any, any major interest. If anybody comes out of this, they will be surprised. At this point, until Haas are on the grid... I'll take it with a pinch of salt, so although they look to be a little bit more organised than, well, than the previously ill-fated USF1 team, but, <laughs> but you know, I'm just uh, with these new teams it's almost like we've been burnt before with, like, HRT and all of this so even if they do turn up, what are they going to be like and I'm just very sceptical until they're on the grid and actually show me what kind of pace they can, they can do so.
0: yeah um I think at least has have gone about the the uh the sensible thing of saying we're going to buy as much as we can from the other teams and happily admit it you know whatever we can buy within the rules we're buying
2: there you go <laughs> yeah exactly fair enough mate <laughs> you know good good doing you um is there anything else you've noticed in the uh,
0: in the realms of formula 1 since monaco uh
2: not an awful lot. No action over the De Valota crash was, uh... Remember, um... obviously oh, the, yes. ...the tragic death of Maria De Valota. I think there was, um, an investigation into... ...the incident, uh, that... I'm not entirely sure of the... ...you know, the medical side of it, but... ...she had the bad crash, and then she... ...she died sometime later, but I think it was... You know, sort of she never fully recovered from the from the crash uh, well i
0: didn't i think she she committed suicide, didn't she so
2: no she was, she she died of like brain neurological something <laughs> <laughs> like yeah neurological trauma or something yeah, like it was it wasn't suicide, I don't think uh no no, no no, no. I have it here is that she died in October twenty thirteen as a consequence of the neurological injuries she suffered. Oh really? Uh so but the the crash was eighteen months prior to that. So she she you know, she survived the crash but she never Oh I she, thought never, it was... she never fully recovered from the injuries, so.
0: Oh yeah, consequence of the neuro she but, suffered.
2: But yeah, I mean I guess the point is they've investigated the crash and no action is being taken, so <laughs> I don't know an awful lot about how the crash actually happened, uh, but what I read was that the family weren't particularly well. I'm sure impressed with that with that outcome. So possibly, possibly more to rumble on. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, she's only she's only thirty three. Not not a good situation.
0: No, uh, I I can't. Um... I can't see why any family wouldn't be be looking to try and, you know, find blame on on somebody, uh, you know, for somebody dying at that early age. But uh, it's just sad, really, just another... There seems to have been a lot of sad things happening around Formula One, isn't it, in the last couple of years? Um, And we're just so unused to it these days with the safety of the sport, you know. um, And when bad things happen to... To people in the spot, we're actually kind of. Um, we, we're really, really shocked by it. Um, even if it's stuff that doesn't happen you know, within a race, really. You're listening to the Last Lap podcast.
2: Anything else in the news that you've. Uh, no. It's uh, <laughs> very much like Monaco. Formula One's been pretty boring since the race, really. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, I mean. Canada's usually pretty excellent. It's high on the list of my favourite Grand Prix, so I'm looking forward to this one. Always, always got a good good feeling about Montreal.
0: Yes, it is one of my favourite races. It's produced some real classics. Um, there's always the uh, Waller champions to look out for, for uh, uh, people pushing things a little too far over the edge. So it's, um, it's good. It's one of the... Uh, Quite often these sort of um, it's a street circuit, but it's not a street circuit um, it can end up being fairly poor racing venues um you think about somewhere like uh, Valencia and just awful um but Canada's never been like that and I, it it's helped by the fact that it's bigger um with nice big long straights and and stuff changeable weather conditions is entirely possible um it's very rarely the optimal Sort of conditions for, for pure racing, if you see what I mean. So, um, the drivers always have to work that a little bit harder there. I feel, and it always tends to produce some moments of either madness or magic, uh, mm-hmm. one way or other.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um,
2: should suit the Mercedes. Should suit the Williams. Williams might be quite close to the Ferraris. Probably won't suit McLaren. Probably won't suit Red Bull.
0: Not sure if it'll suit. Ferrari if it is cool as well, mm. they seem to suffer um a lot yeah. more when it, when it was colder in um at Monaco and then when it was warmer they were they did much better.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking that Williams should probably be targeting this as one of their Grand Prix they can really get close to Ferrari and and maybe steal the podium behind the mercs. And obviously the big question then is how does Lewis bounce back from his break in- heartbreaking disappointment of Monaco. Well, he, he, Rosberg's won the last two now, so he really, you could do with this one. If Nico takes this one, it's it's well and truly game on in the championship again, which after the first couple of races of the season, I didn't think we'd, we'd get that. Nico looked down and out, and maybe his head wasn't he quite recovered from the disappointment of last season, and Lewis was flying high, but that's kind of flipped on its head now. After after Monaco, it's Lewis. It's mentally being questioned and Rosberg. That's got the momentum. So should be good fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it, and I, I kind of hope that there is a, maybe a little bit of rain just to spice things up a little bit, even if it's ah, just for yeah. for part of the race. Because uh, uh, it'd be nice to see. Um, uh, it's always nice to see those those points where the the drivers are having to react to the track and the. Uh, conditions and, and traction and stuff I think it's, um, especially in these cars um, it
2: seems the, like the traction in had a really good wet race you know, yeah
0: man. and I think that's that that's part of the problem really is that um, in a lot of other the only place where the cars are really particularly weak is kind of traction isn't it in terms of wheel spinning and bits and pieces so um, I, I think that's when you get the best racing out of these cars actually is when you know traction is low so when it's cold and the tires don't work very well you get more interesting racing because the cars aren't aren't as good but when it's hot the things are stuck to the ground so um you know it you you get a lot a lot less slipping and sliding i think so um it it, you know i'm not looking for bernie sprinkler idea here but you know it it would be good to have a, a race that was a bit more changeable i was actually quite looking forward when it rained in um uh free practice at Monaco that maybe we ha- we might have a partially wet race which we yeah, was threatened. hoping
2: so as well it would have made such a difference even though I was ultimately happy with the result it would have made a big difference to the race itself because it was pretty boring up until the incident so never mind hopefully we'll get it in Canada there is scope for rain in Canada I think sometimes this time of year so
0: yeah absolutely absolutely
2: And uh, do you have a prediction?
0: Uh, Do you know what? I'm not going to. No? And I just don't... It's because I just don't know. I'm... I don't know. I don't know what mental state Lewis is going to turn up in. I don't know whether the Ferraris will be close or not. Um, The Williams aren't going to be close to the Mercedes, but they'll do better. I just... I don't know. I felt like I've known which way it was going to go. And I suppose I could say Lewis and be fairly confident of of it happening. Or I could say Nico and be fairly confident of him at least, you know, one of those two drivers coming in the first two places. But I kind of don't want to just say that just because it's the easy thing to say. So I think I'm going to, I'm just going to wait and see on this one, actually.
2: (laughs) Well, I think I I am, I am kind of with you, actually. There is more uncertainty for me going into this weekend than I probably felt. All season, I've got a feeling it might be Lewis, just because he's had that the disappointment in Monaco, and he does tend to use that quite well when he's had a disappointment. He generally is quite good at using that to spur him on. But we'll wait and see. Again, like you, I'm I'm somewhat reluctant to to nail it too close to the mast. The, uh, a more general uh, prediction will be the Williams' to to possibly peg the Ferraris back here. But other than that, we'll see. <laughs>
0: Okie okay, dokie. Okay. Well, I did promise you a special little feature at the end of the podcast. Um, so without further ado, here we go. So, for the first time, and possibly the last time, on the Last Lap Podcast, we are inviting the crew of the, uh, is this pronounced BDLM or Bedlam? Bedlam. Bedlam. Excellent, I'll get it right in future then, thank you very much.
1: It's complete Bedlam!
0: <laughs> Thanks Max.
2: A lot of Bedlam never hurt anybody.
0: Well, except maybe in, f- oh no, I mean, uh, F1, I think I can say, can't I? No. I'm not allowed to use the F word. <laughs> So the uh, full story about how we uh, know this bunch of crazy dudes um, is that in the long and distant past, uh, they started a podcast that both John and I were on, and uh, it kind of inspired us to make this podcast realistically. So- Sorry. <laughs>
2: yeah. Don't pass the blame onto us, please. Our bad.
0: Sorry. <laughs> well, at least everybody knows who to blame now. Um, so we found out that we were recording tonight, and since we were recording tonight, it seemed like a good idea to... Uh, Pop them onto the show and see if they can predict the winners of the Canadian Grand Prix. It's going to
3: be a car. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the Canadian Grand P- Prix. Well, that's easy.
0: The, the nicest one. Well, uh, I'm not sure who that would be these days. <laughs> no, yeah. no,
3: you go in front of me. No, no, you. you. It's going to be a bunch of F1 cars like, excuse me, sorry, guy. Here you go. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Go I'm go not right your ahead. buddy, guy. After you. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you, Terence. <laughs> so, yes, Sean, who, uh, who is the nicest guy in Formula One these days? Then, uh,
2: oh, Nico Rosberg. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's going to go down well. No. Nice. <laughs> nah, <laughs> um, all seriousness, probably. Eh, maybe Massa. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, right. When he's who not complaining about somebody else.
2: <laughs> well, that's true. Who do you think?
0: Um, ooh, that's a tough question. Probably probably one of the two manners, I would have thought. They're so nice. They just keep on getting out of everybody's way. And <laughs> <laughs> not holding anybody up at all. So let's uh, actually crack into this and see uh, who can predict the winner of the Canadian Grand Prix. First up, Mr. Denson.
3: Michael Schumacher.
0: Wow. <laughs> Jesus. that went downhill fast <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody good night so swiftly moving on <laughs> uh, mr david maximus fernandez who do you think will win the canadian grand prix and don't say Michael Schumacher. Uh, hands down, I'm going to have to go with Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, <laughs> I sense a theme developing here. Uh, next up, Becky, no middle name Roberts. Who do you no think will win? The... Robert,
1: that's, not a, that's not a real name, no middle name Roberts.
0: I'm sorry, I couldn't think of anything.
1: <laughs> OK, um, well, who's who's in poll? Is it Lewis Hamilton's winning at the moment, isn't he?
0: Well, not the last one. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: But I'm not going to say him purely because um, my mum can't stand him um, and she's a huge Formula One fan and um, she would without a doubt go for uh, Sebastian uh, Vettel. Is that how you say his name?
0: <laughs> I think, don't think there's been a common consensus, really. <laughs> Could be uh,
2: Vettel. Es es Vettel. Or... Es es Vettel.
1: OK, well, go. um, I'm going to go for him. I know he's in like I don't know, my mum said second or third at the moment Um, but uh, she's got high hopes Your mum sounds
2: like a smart woman
1: (laughs) 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 Ha ha! Tricked you! You thought we were dumb? Just the men are I
2: mean, no. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Well, at least see if that theory is correct with uh, our friend
2: Chris. <laughs> at, at, and... at least my one was an actual. Uh, at least my one was an actual racing driver. <laughs> yeah, but he
0: was in a coma, Matt. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and that's what's going to make it so magical.
0: Oh. The only race Michael Schumacher is likely to win is a downhill soapbox derby, race. <laughs> oh. and probably one with no corners in it either. Oh. I think I've gone too far. <laughs> he didn't even
3: enter. Just one of the nurses left the brakes off his bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: no. Oh, dear. But well, I thought I was well, going to be Richard Hammond. <laughs> well,
0: at least that's an answer I can get behind. At least that means there's going to be one spectacular crash during the race, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's time for Chris now. Oh. Uh, Chris... Who do you think is going to win the Canadian Grand Prix?
3: Okay, so I seriously know nothing at all about Formula One other than when I was a little kid and I had a poster with the F1 winners on there because Nigel Mansell had a funny moustache. So I couldn't even tell you. Like, um, Let's just name some drivers. Um, is Felipe Massa still a driver?
0: Yes. Oh, yes, he is. So well done.
3: Potentially him. Um, I should probably say... Lewis Hamilton, I know he's a driver. Does Jensen Button drive
0: anymore? Oh well, he does, and well, at least up until recently, he was sporting quite a massive tash. Um, so if that is the you know the way that you pick your F one drivers, he's probably your okay.
3: Guy. Then then we'll, we'll go with Jensen Button. Excellent. Well, I <laughs> isn't I'm behind he a like providing... something? No, no. Providing that he has got a magnificent moustache.
0: Well. I'm not sure if he still got it. He definitely was rocking it for a few uh, for a few weeks, probably until Ron Dennis told him to Ooh. take it off for aerodynamic reasons. Uh, but it was.
1: If a we're going mustache. on looks, then if we're going on who I'd rather.
0: Oh dear. Oh, well,
3: is this what it always has to resort to?
1: Well, you were the one that brought up the mustache, and then you mentioned Jensen Button. So if we're going to go down that route, then yeah, I will agree with Jensen Button because I would. Oh, I
2: would. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, if we're going reasons, by looks, he? then Murray Walker's going to be a shoo-in. <laughs>
0: wow. I think we've learned something about uh, Matthew Denton that we never really wanted to know, quite possibly. Especially uh, if he's
2: commentating the action as it goes.
0: Oh my. Commentating on the old, uh, you
2: know. <laughs> uh... Come <laughs> on, you know you want to come down onto <laughs> the depths on of hell.
1: <laughs> I'm just mentioning what I want to do to Jensen Button. You're talking about... Com- I don't want people commentating on what I'm doing. There
2: and she's it, going around the corner. Me,
1: me, 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 me. This is very difficult to not use naughty words while I'm saying this. You know, I'm really struggling here.
0: It is massively appreciated, though. Thank you.
1: <laughs> sure, glad we can help.
3: Oh, I like a we can big company, very, very accurate. Yes, highly accurate <laughs>
0: <laughs> and very much well received. Thank you very much for coming on, guys. It's been a a real pleasure, and hopefully, maybe we can return the favour someday and come and give our F one opinions to uh, your audience, who I'm sure <laughs> are who riveted for us. Oh well, geez, Max, don't give
3: up. us the don't give us the bums rush or anything. Thanks, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. no. coming Thank soon you. to the Bedlam Podcast. <laughs> oh no, the devil sport. We don't talk about that here.
3: What does the Formula in infor- like? Why is it Formula One? Can you answer that? It's baby <laughs> Formula.
0: Yeah, Formula One was started by uh, SMA. Ah! <laughs> there is actually a proper answer to that, but it's never going to be as fun as that one. So let's just leave it there. I think we have we have enlightened you somewhat on the. Oh, well, I like to things. think
3: we've all learned a little something here today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think we really have quite quite what uh, I hesitate to say, but thank you so much for coming on. It's a real pleasure, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on sometime soon. Thank, thank you.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Well, that was the uh, Bedlam podcast, uh, guys. Um, like, I, like I said, good friends of the uh, the podcast for uh, many a uh, year. Uh, we may try and get those guys on again if we can uh, possibly handle the madness uh, <laughs> <laughs> anymore. Um, but I think that is a, a great place to uh, end the podcast this, uh, this episode. Um, thank you very much for listening in, guys, as always. Um, please... Digest the podcast in the many and myriad ways that you can. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, subscribe to us on TuneIn. Um, you can always uh, bookmark uh, um where we always post our episodes first. You can always uh, stream and download the episodes from. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Just search for uh, The Last Lap Podcast, or The Last Lap F1 Podcast, sorry, uh, and then like us on there. Uh, we have uh, been interacting quite a lot with people uh, at the moment uh, on Facebook. Seems to be the place that people actually like to uh, you know, come in and, and share their thoughts on the na- an episode or something that's happened in Formula One. Um, so we're busy trying to make sure that uh, there's always content up in there for you guys to enjoy uh, and interact with us on um the other place you can catch us is on twitter at last lap podcast uh, again we're trying to make sure that we uh post bits and pieces out there for you guys to enjoy um but you'll always be able to catch the uh, latest episode as soon as it's released uh links will always go up on there um and you can always feel free to contact us let us know what you liked about the podcast didn't like about the podcast or uh your thoughts on anything that we talk about um if you'd like to give us a shout-out uh, for anything Formula 1 or uh, or whatever else really crosses your mind, um, possibly things like why did you let those four people onto the podcast, <laughs> please let us know what you think about that as well. It would be nice to hear from you. Uh, you can catch us at our own Twitter handles. I'm at MancleMegs.
2: And I'm at
0: Fireboat Willow. And so once again, thank you very much for listening, guys. We will see you next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers.